0: So we're in the chapter that we began last time, Bab, or Babun Maja'a Fit Tanjim, the chapter regarding what has been mentioned about the stars and the beliefs that the people of Jahiliyyah had regarding stars and how they believed that the stars have an impact or even control the events that occur on this earth so we got to the narration of Abu Musa قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ثلاثة لا يدخلون الجنه مدمن خمر وقاطع رحم ومصدق بالسحر رواه احمد وابن حبان في صحيحه In this narration, the messenger, or in this narration by Abu Musa initially, Abu Musa is the companion Abdullah ibn Qais al-Ash'ari. Abdullah ibn Qais al-Ash'ari, Abu Musa Radiallahu anhu. Wa Abu Musa min afadilis Sahaba. وَأَجِلَّائِهِمْ وَفُضَلَائِهِمْ Abu Musa Qais, or Abdullah ibn Qais, is from the Virtuous Companions. Abu Musa Abdullah ibn Qais al-Ash'ari, from the Noble and Virtuous Companions. وَقَدْ تَوَلَّى أَعْمَالًا جَلِيلًا في أيام الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وفي أيام الخلافاء الراشدين فله مكانة عظيمة في الإسلام رضي الله تعالى عنه أرضاه وكان حسن الصوت بالقرآن واستمع إليه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأثنى عليه so Abu Musa Abdullah ibn Qais al-Ash'ari is from the virtuous and noble companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi And we've mentioned many times before how to define who the companions were How to define a companion So what is the definition of a companion? Nobody knows who the companions are. No,
1: must have believed. Whoever uh-huh. yeah. so met the Prophet and died upon met him, believed in him and died upon that.
0: Uh-huh. Abdul Dasha. Yeah. So I met him, sent him. Sometimes you may have been blind, so maybe had him as well. Uh-huh. رأى الرسول وعاصره واجتمع به واتبعه وعبد الله بن أم مكتوم لم يره لا وصحابه صحابه جديد but he was blind so that's why they say they say that the better ta'beer is to say man laqiya an nabi instead of saying man because there were some companions who were blind. So instead of saying in the definition of a companion, someone who saw the messenger and believed in him and died upon Islam, it's better to say someone who met the Prophet, believed in him and died upon Islam, so that you include. The companions who were blind and never saw the messenger, but they met him. So man, they, you know, they break down all of the definition, al Hafad ibn Hajar. He says, man al nabiya Man, this is for al-Aqil. So therefore the stones and the rocks and the trees are not companions. Has to be for al-Aqil. Man. لقيا, لقيا, so بيه, etc. عصره, he was with the Prophet وسلم, at that time, met him, met him. Not just lived at the same time, actually met him. bin Whoever met the Prophet, why not say Man bin Muhammad? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ah, because it has to be after the Prophethood began. Some of them might have met with the Prophet ﷺ before he became a Prophet, before the age of forty, and they never met him again after that. So then they wouldn't be in this definition. You have to have met the Prophet after he became a Prophet. So Man laqiya an Nabiya. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Wa and believed in him. This therefore excludes all of the the kuffar, the mushrikun, all of them. They met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi many of them who met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but they did not believe in him. So amanabihi met him and believed in him. Wa And the one who uh, met him and believed in him and died upon Islam. So, if somebody met the Prophet, believed in him at the time of meeting him, meaning the person himself, when he met the messenger, he had to have been a Muslim at the time himself. And he met the messenger. And then the final condition He had to have died upon Islam So that therefore excludes the people Who for example There are a few examples Where they were believers They met the Prophet But they apostated and died upon kufr. Odd example here and there So to exclude them Those who met the Prophet Believed in him And died upon Islam Even if they apostated in between. Imagine now somebody became Muslim at the time of the Prophet ﷺ and met the Prophet, ﷺ believing in him. Muslim at the time, believed in him. Then apostated. But then returned back to Islam and died upon Islam in the end. Sahabi or not? upon the correct opinion companion that's differed over, it is differed over because there are many fiqh rulings that are connected to the one who apostates and then comes back to Islam like for example imagine when he first was a Muslim he went and did his hajj hajj for your lifetime but then he apostates, when you apostate all your actions have been nullified, then he becomes Muslim again is his hajj of the lifetime due again or not? We start going in there, we'll never come back to Kitab al <laughs> All of that in a fiqh lesson, inshallah ta'ala, if we start that next time. But these are the discussions. These are the discussions that exist in the books of fiqh and these kinds of rulings. So the point here is though, on the definition of a companion, the one who met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa believed in him at the time, And died upon Islam even if in between He had apostated And there are again a few examples of that Where they believed in the messenger uh, Met him but then apostated But then returned back to Islam And died as Muslims When they returned back to Islam Is it a condition to have met the messenger again? No The first meeting was sufficient and all of that you find in the books of the sciences of Hadith Ulum al-Hadith or mustalahat al-Hadith In those books you find all of this chapter, it's mentioned in there So Abu Musa Abdullah ibn Qais al-Ash'ari He was from the famous or the, the noble and honorable companions of the Prophet Sallallahu And it's mentioned that he had a beautiful voice that he had a beautiful voice with the recitation of the Qur'an. He had a beautiful voice in the recitation of the Qur'an. And that he recited and the Prophet ﷺ listened to him and praised him, praised his recitation. So he is the one who narrates this hadith. Anabi Musa Qad. A'la Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Thalathatun la yadkhulun aljannah Three people Or three types of people Will not enter paradise Mudminu khamar The one who is A Alcoholic as they say The one who is an alcoholic Qati'u rahim The one who cuts the ties of kinship, and the musaddiqun bi sihr, the one who believes in magic. So firstly, this hadith says to us, three types of people will not enter paradise. And then it tells you what those three types of people are. They will not enter paradise. Does that mean anybody else who as long as they don't do these three things will enter paradise? Of course not These kinds of narrations do not indicate a restriction These kinds of narrations They do not indicate restriction It is not to say that as long as you're not in one of these categories Therefore you will enter paradise There are many other sins too But these are mentioned not in the form of a restriction And there's uh, many points like that regarding narrations where it doesn't indicate restriction necessarily and where numbers may not indicate the exact number even when we spoke about the hadith of the shayateen climbing on top of each other's backs and then they get that truth and they bring it down to the magician then the magician mixes it with a with what? (laughs) how many? but how many in the narration? Hundred, It says in the narration 100 lies he mixes in with it But does that mean he mixes in Exactly 100 lies No This is a a, a phrase To indicate a lot It's like even when it says The Prophet ﷺ used to do Istighfar every day, mera Or mi'at marra. Does it mean exactly 70 or exactly 100 No It just means a lot again, indicates a lot. So these narrations do not necessitate a restriction. They are simply there to indicate a lot. And that works in the Arabic language. It's like in English when you say, I told you a thousand times not to do that. Were you counting on your, the electronic digital counters that I said it, one thousand exactly? Of course not. But it's a phrase to indicate that I said it to you. Many times. So that is something which occurs. And in this case, it is a number three mentioned, three categories mentioned, but it's not a restriction upon those three only. So, ثلاثة لا يدخلون الجنه. هذا وعيد يجرى على ظاهره ولا يؤول ولا يفسر لأن تفسيره وتأويله يقلل من أهميته فيترك على ظاهره للزجر والوعيد وإن كان أصحاب هذه الجرائم لا يخرجون من الإسلام ولكن هذا من باب الوعيد الشديد لهم So the narration and this is the next point The narration tells us these three types of people The alcoholic, constantly drinking alcohol Addicted to alcohol The one who cuts the ties of kinship with his family and relatives and close ones And the one who believes in magic They will not enter paradise Does that mean that they have committed kufr and they will never enter paradise it does not necessitate that However The Sheikh says With these kinds of narrations Leave them as they are When a person comes along now And you mention this hadith to him Three types of people They will not enter paradise The alcoholic The one who cuts the ties of kinship And the one who believes in magic And leave it at that So that the person realizes the Severity of this affair Don't go explaining to him then, but, however, XYZ, it doesn't mean that, it's not that serious, you will still enter paradise. You don't want to say those particular types of explanations to a person when you're giving like a general maw'idah, a general type of admonition. When you're explaining it in terms of students and talab al-ilm and you're breaking down the explanation, that's another thing. But the point of when you're giving admonition to someone... You would mention it as it is and leave it. Let them feel the severity of the narration. Let them feel the harshness of that. The one who drinks alcohol does not enter paradise, the messenger said. The one who cuts the ties does not enter paradise. The one who believes in the magic does not enter paradise, the hadith said. Let him go like that, thinking like that. To think how severe it is, so he stops. Even though we know the narration here does not necessitate that the person has become a kafir and that he will never enter paradise as long as he died upon Tawheed otherwise and did not fall into shirk otherwise, then we know that person will not remain therein forever, but that this is only a severe threat upon that person. These are some of the types of narrations that the khawarij they utilize, they use them for their misguided beliefs. Because the Khawarij, they will take this narration and say to you that the Ashabul Kaba'ir, Mukhaladuna nar they are going to stay forever in the hellfire. That's what they believe. The one who commits a major sin will stay forever in the hellfire. They'll say, look, there's the hadith. Drinking alcohol, cutting the ties These are all major sins And they will not enter paradise The hadith says Proving that if you commit major sins you die And you are in the hellfire forever But of course we know That is their misguided understanding Because when you put This narration together With all of the rest of the sunnah Then it becomes clear And makes sense in context And you remember when we did Kashf al-Shubuhat, as Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhabi mentioned, the way of the people of innovation is that they isolate the evidences. They take one hadith here, one ayah there, they isolate the evidences to try and make a point. But when you put those evidences into context, you realize their point was completely nonsense. If somebody comes along to you and says that Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَيْلُوا Lil Woe be to the ones who pray. Ayah in the Quran, Woe be to the ones who pray. But of course, you cannot quote that by itself. That's why some of the scholars even say with those kinds of ayat You're not even supposed to stop on them when you're reciting You have to continue to give the context of what is meant And the context there They pray late What does it say? Sahun Those who are negligent etc So there's a context of what is being meant So that's the way of the people of innovation They will pick out isolated evidences To try and make their point When you put those isolated evidences into context Then you realize it's not what they meant It's this, it's something completely different These are all principles almost And you find many of these, all of these In usul al-fiqh when you go through the books of Usul al-Fiqh Then they explain how to derive evidences The Ahkam How to deduct them And derive them from the narrations And so you have to understand about the uh, narrations And putting them into context And general and specific And all of those things So this Hadith does not necessitate That the person will be in the hellfire forever فَشُرْبُ الْخَامَرُ uh, مدمن الخمر المراد بالمدمن الذي يداوم على شرب الخمر ولا يتوب إلى الله منها. The مدمن الخمر in the Hadith is talking about somebody who consistently drinks alcohol and does not repent to Allah, drinks alcohol and again and again and again and does not repent. Continuously persists upon The drinking of alcohol And doesn't repent Which is a bit like that narration When a man At the time of In in one version I think it says Umar ibn al-Khattab When Umar ibn al-Khattab was the Khalifa There was a man who used to always Get caught drinking And they used to bring him to Umar ibn al-Khattab All the time Again catching him drinking Drinking, drinking One time they caught him again and they brought him to Umar ibn al-Khattab Who was the Khalifa at the time And Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him You know, what's going on again? Drinking alcohol, etc The man said, look It's not my fault It was the decree of Allah Was it not the decree? If that man drank alcohol that day Then it was certainly in the decree He could not have done something that wasn't in the decree He said, look, it was in the decree What can I do? It was in the decree I was going to drink alcohol today Which is true So then Umar ibn al-Khattab said to him Or or, or said to somebody Get the whip They whipped him And then he said Umar ibn al-Khattab said It was in the decree That you were going to get whipped today Just as you claim it was in the decree And that's your evidence That's why you drank alcohol No problem We have just whipped you now And that was in the decree you were going to get whipped today and that is in the chapter of the decree There is a brief chapter that comes up here But in the books of Aqeedah more detail How you cannot use the decree To justify sins You cannot لا يحتج بالقدر al المعاصي You cannot use the decree as a justification upon sins Because when you commit the sin You are the one making the choice to do it Allah gave you that Ability and freedom to make the choice. So, فَشُرْبُ الْخَمَرْ مِنْ كَبَائِرِ وَمَنْ إِسْتَحَلَّهُ Drinking alcohol is one of the major sins. One of the major sins. And there are books written by the scholars on major sins. There is one by a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, كِتَابُ الْكَبَائِرِ there is one by al-imam al-Dhahabi, Kitab where they put together major sins. You have minor sins, you have major sins. How do you define and what's the criteria for what is classified as a major sin compared to what is classified as a minor sin? Anybody? Punishment specified punishments are specified, that is one way to tell if a particular sin has a specific punishment mentioned for it, then that must be a major sin, stealing, we know you have, the chopping of the hand, specific punishment to a specific sin, therefore that's got to be a major sin, when there are specific punishments attached to them, how else do you know Possibly Minor sins too But you mean in order to be Forgiven you cannot be forgiven by other actions On it But that's true as well There are sometimes narrations Where they may just tell you Like Avoid the seven destructive sins So we know they are major sins What other way Anger of Allah When it is mentioned عليه, That Allah is angered upon the one who does X, Y, Z That action must therefore be a major sin Whenever you see an ayah like that Or a hadith like that Allah's anger is upon the ones who do this or that Then that is a sign that this is a major sin And also The curse of Allah La'natullah the curse of Allah upon the one who does XYZ, then XYZ in that case must be major sins. And also, okay, the curse of the messenger, also, but there's something similar to that.
1: To away from huh? The, that he turns away from
0: the, the no, phrase used in the hadith often is, not from us. When you see the hadith he is not from us, the one who does X, Y, Z. When the messenger mentions a hadith like that with that phrase, then it indicates it's a major sin. Whomsoever uh, uh, deceives or betrays or cheats us, then he is not from us. So that action of cheating and deception is a major sin. The messenger said he's not from us the one who does that لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ ضَرَبَ الْخُدُودَ وَشَقَّ الْجُيُوبَ Not from us is the one who beats his cheeks and tears his pockets, his clothes and screams and shouts when someone dies The niyaha, major sin So those are methods of distinguishing what a major sin is this here then, these are considered from the major sins Drinking alcohol is a major sin And there are many evidences from those points we made that would highlight it And Man istahallahu faqad What does that mean? The one who believes and declares Drinking alcohol to be halal That's kufr. As opposed to somebody who drinks alcohol but knows it's haram. That person doesn't commit kufr. You know it's haram but from your weakness you're doing it. That isn't kufr. But when you believe it's not even haram, this is halal and you declare it as halal. Your declaration of that thing to be halal When Allah has made it haram, that's kufar And this is one of the main points when it comes to the rulers The Khawarij, the Khwanis They all, when they do their Jumu'ah Khutbah Every Jumu'ah Khutbah is about some of the rulers The ruler of Saudi Arabia, the ruler of of, uh, Emirat The ruler of uh, Kuwait, the ruler of Jordan They want to talk about all of the Muslim rulers They do this, they do that Always talking about the Muslim rulers here in the University of Manchester in the olden days when they had the Ambrose Mosque. For those who remember that 20 years ago, the University Mosque, it's knocked down now, the building, I think. In that mosque, the Ikhwanis used to give their khutbah every week, the University of Manchester Mosque. And every week, when they used to come in, it used to start good. The khatib would come in. Do the khutbah al-hajah, then he would start with some ayat of the Qur'an. Taala ayah." an sallallahu wasallam Mentioned some hadith. The first two or three minutes, you think it's going to turn out a decent khutbah, ayat, a hadith. Then after that two or three minutes of mentioning some ayat and a hadith, the rest of the khutbah is all about the rulers. This ruler, he did this and he did that and he did this to the Muslims and he worked with the Kufar and with the West and all about politics, the whole khutbah. Because one of their problems is, the khawarij and their likes, they do not recognize the difference between a person who falls into a sin knowing it's a sin, but out of his weakness, including the rulers. A ruler of a country may... Allow something to happen in his country That is haram Maybe But he knows it's haram It's not like he's saying to people uh, In the banks in our Muslim country We're gonna allow interest Because it's halal Forget all these texts and all these ayat in the Quran It's wrong It's halal riba. If he said that That's another issue but all of these places where these kinds of things may exist in Muslim countries, it's not because that ruler or that Muslim government deny the ayat of the Quran, deny the ahadith. It's from the weaknesses that may exist for multiple reasons. For political reasons, economic reasons, weakness comes in and they allow this to happen, they allow that to happen. It doesn't mean that they believe those things are halal. It doesn't mean they believe they are halal But from their weakness and the political pressures Economic pressures All types of things that happen On a world scale between countries and governments They allow things to go They allow things to slip doesn't mean they believe them to be halal Therefore that is not kufr If those things are happening in their country It is not kufr of the rulers They have not disbelieved If there is interest in the banks or there is some other haram going on in the country. It is not that they have made istihlal of it. They believe it to be halal and permissible and deny the ayat of the Qur'an. So there's a difference between somebody falling into a sin, an error, knowing it's haram, but from their weakness. That doesn't necessitate kufar upon them. As opposed to somebody who falls into an error and declares it to be halal and rejects the ayat, and the hadith proclaiming it to be harab, that's a different situation. With the rulers, it is not of that nature. And even if a person wants to claim no, it's of that nature, then bring forth your evidence. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said it has to be kufr. Bawah, clear, open, apparent kufr. Not just well, I'm assuming if he allowed that, then he must believe it's halal. No, that is your assumption. That is not the way that the Prophet ﷺ taught us. So here, coming back to this, the one who declares alcohol to be halal and rejects the ayat and the hadith, declaring it to be haram, then that is kufr. فَقَدْ فَعَلَ كَبِيرًا مِنْ كَبَائِرِ الذنوب وَيُعْتَبَرْ فَاسِقًا نَاقِصُ الْإِيمَانِ But as for the one who knows and believes it is haram to drink alcohol, but his desires he falls into them and therefore drinks it, he has now committed a major sin and is considered a fasiq deficient in his iman. A fasiq who is deficient in his iman, but not a kafir who has exited from the fold of Islam. He knows it's haram, believes it's haram, but falls into his desire. (inaudible) If, in terms of the Islamic ruling, under the Islamic rule, under the Islamic ruler, if it is established that somebody drunk alcohol by his own admission, if he admits to it himself, and there are some narrations in the sunnah where people committed certain sins and they came to the messenger in regret and admitted it, and said, oh messenger, I did this and I did that. So if a person comes and admits to doing it, pleads guilty upon himself, he uh, admits he did it, then the ruling can be established upon him. Or if there are witnesses who can testify to have seen him drinking alcohol, then the ruling can be established upon him. And the ruling for the one who drinks alcohol is 80 lashes. 80 lashes. <laughs> الذي هو أشرف شيء في الإنسان يميز به الضار من النافع والطيب من الخبيث وبه يعقل أمور دينه وبه يمسك عن الأذى فإذا فقد العقل صار أحط من البهيمة فيؤذي ويضيع أخلاقه ومصالحه ومصالح غيره فلذلك زجر الله عن شرب الخمر And the reason why this particular punishment has been put down upon the one who drinks alcohol, 80 whips, 80 lashes, is because Allah has prohibited alcohol and the drinking of it to preserve the mind, to preserve the mind's, the intellect and the mind of a person. And in fact, Khamar. The word Khamar. This asal in the Arabic language. Kha, Mim, Ra. Yadul, ala mada? But what does it mean though? Khamar. What's, what's the meaning? khimar to cover. khimar Khamar. Tagtia. They say that the meaning of Al-Khamar... The, the root letters, Kha, Mim, Ra, they indicate cons, uh, covering of something. That's why you call the khimar that the women wear with the same kind of word. khimar because it covers the women. Khamar, because it covers your mind. The Khamar covers your mind up. Your mind's gone when you're intoxicated. This is from the Arabic language. You have letters that are root letters, the usul, and they indicate certain meanings when they are put together. You remember a while ago in kitab al turheed we mentioned, right at the beginning, chapter 7, 8, 9, jinn, jim, and nun, in Arabic indicates something hidden, hidden, concealed. That's why the jinn are known as the jinn, because they are concealed. And the janine, the, uh, uh, the fetus, the baby growing in the womb of the mother, janin, noon again, because it is concealed within the womb of the mother. And there are many words like that, even junoon, that mental, when the mental faculties are gone from a person, junoon, because his mental faculties have now become concealed. His reality is now concealed, his mental faculties have gone. So, always in Arabic you find words, they have root letters. When put together, they indicate certain meanings. So, hamar indicates a type of covering. It covers up your mind. And Islam came to protect the minds from being covered up in this way. Because the mind of a person is the most honorable thing that you have. Your mind, your brain, your intellect is the most honourable thing that a person has. You can distinguish what is beneficial and what is harmful by way of it, what is good and what is bad by way of it. You can understand the rulings of the religion by way of it. You can prevent yourself from doing harm if you have that mind and ability to think and understand But if that mind of yours is gone the mind is gone intoxicated then you are worse than an animal and that is not difficult to see when you see the effects of intoxication upon them those who become intoxicated there was a story in the news a few years ago somebody went out a night out intoxicated completely, they managed to stumble home, and it was a winter, it was a winter night, snow outside, they got intoxicated on a night out, they managed to stumble, stumble, get to their garden, and they just fell down, intoxicated, fell down in their garden, unconscious, asleep, in the garden, in the snow, it snowed overnight, they got buried in there, And they died from hypothermia, freezing, whatever. Next morning somebody came and found them. They died from the hypothermia, uh, freezing in that snow, overnight. Dead from the intoxication. So intoxicated, cannot even walk home. And that's why they have all these tests for the drivers. Walk towards me, five meters and all that business. Walk in a straight line. uh, And the breathalyzers and all these things. On one occasion, I was stopped on the side of the road. Not because I was intoxicated, obviously, but I was stopped. And they got the machine out. They said, as a procedure, as a policy, we have to do it. I told him, you can do it, but it's going to read 0.0. Never touched it in my life. He said, okay, but policy, I have to do it. So he got the machine, made me breathe into it, 0.0. 0.0, not a trace whatsoever. But they do it. And this is because they know, they know. About the effects of alcohol and how it takes away your mind They have their legal restrictions of how much you can have In your blood when you're driving cars and all these things It is well known So Islam came to protect the minds From that intoxication, from being lost So if a person loses his mind Then you will end up harming others You will lose your etiquette and manners It will all be gone Hence Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned and gave this severe type of reprimand from drinking alcohol. وَوَضَعَ لَهَا حَدًّا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَوَعِيدًا فِي الْآخِرَةِ And Allah placed this severe uh, punishment upon this act in this world which is 80 lashes and a severe threat for that person in the afterlife. وَأَخْبَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم أَنَّهُ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ فَهَذَا وَعِيدٌ شَدِيدٌ And the messenger informed us that such a person will not enter paradise And this is a severe threat That is the first category The second one قَاطِعُ الرَّحِمُ The one who cuts the ties of kinship it is in reference to all of your relatives, whether from your father's side or from your mother's side.
1: i أن محمد رسول الله. أي
0: Also just on the point of alcohol before we go to this Initially they used to drink alcohol When Islam came The people were used to alcohol And they used to drink alcohol So when the prohibition came in Islam Against alcohol It did not come immediately It came in stages So one of the early stages was That you cannot drink alcohol at the time of The Salah of the Prayers don't come near the prayer Do not come to the prayer Whilst you're in a state of intoxication And then eventually through the stages Until it was made outright haram When it was made outright haram There's a narration it mentions in the seerah Those who still had alcohol left in their homes When the outright prohibition came They got those bottles and they started pouring them out And it says in some of the narrations The streets were full of Alcohol like rivers pouring through the streets where everybody now, the Muslims now were getting rid of whatever they had left from their alcohol. It was pouring through the streets like uh, rivers pouring through the streets or a stream through the streets. So here then, قَاطِعُ rahim The one who cuts the ties of kinship, relatives from your father's side or your mother's side, الْأَرْحَامُ وَاجِبَةٌ فِي الْإِسْلَامُ بَعْدَ بِرِّ الْوَالِدَيْنِ And keeping those ties of kinship is obligatory in Islam uh, after the rights of the parents. وَهُمْ الْأَوْلَادُ وَأَوْلَادُهُمْ And the ties of kinship, they apply to the closest of your relatives from, beginning from your own children. You do not cut off your own children and their children, so your grandchildren and your brothers and your sisters and your nephews and nieces, al-ikhwa to wa auladuhum and your uncles and aunties and first cousins, akhwal and from your mother's side, uncles and aunties and first cousins wal-aba and your uh, uh, grandfathers going upwards All of the family tree extending out That is all considered From the ties of kinship Being applicable upon them For So the first in that list The highest priority for your ties of kinship Is of course Al-Walidan The parents the parents Bilbir bihima thumma al then after that your own children thumma al-ikhwa then your brothers and their children your nephews and nieces from your brothers thumma al after that ammat wa and then of course your sisters too but then also after that your uncles and aunts from your uh, father's side and their children, your first cousins from that side. Then after that, your uncles and aunties from your mother's side. And the children from there, your first cousins from that side. Uh, and this is all mentioned in the Quran, Qala <speaking> Ta'ala. <in Hebrew> worship Allah and do not associate any partners with Him. The right of Allah first. Then straight after that وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا The right of the parents Right after the right of Allah And with your parents do good وَبِذِي Urba And then after that The others from the relatives that you maintain The ties of kinship with It is because of these kinds of ayat Where often The rights of your parents Are attached directly after the rights of Allah it highlights how high the rights of the parents are. Hence, when you look into some of those books of major sins we mentioned, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, Imam al Dhabi, in their books, one of the highest major sins right at the beginning of the lists is the disobedience and wrongful behavior towards parents. One of the most major sins at the top of the list. Because we know Allah attaches the rights of the parents straight after His own rights. So it is a high and elevated right. And there are many other ayat as well. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And Allah has uh, 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 commanded and ordered you not to worship except Him. And then straight after that, do good to your parents. Uh, and then that ayah continues all the way. وَآتِذَا الْقُرْبَى There's many ayat like that. So your relatives have an obligatory right upon you. So whoever cuts those rights from your relatives, you have cut the ties of kinship. من كبائر الذنوب وملعون في القرآن And the one who cuts the ties of kinship uh, has committed a major sin and is cursed in the Qur'an It mentions فَهَلْ عَصَيْتُمْ إِنْ تَوَلَّيْتُمْ أَنْ تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَتُقَطِّعُوا أَرْحَامَكُمْ أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهِ فَأَصَمَّهُمْ وَأَعْمَى وَأَبْصَارَهُمْ that there mentions Watu that you cut your ties of kinship Ula Ikaladina Laana Humullah. They are the ones whom Allah has cursed. يَقُولُ In a Hadith Qudsi, uh, it is mentioned that Allah says whomsoever maintains your ties with you, then I will maintain my ties with him. And whomsoever cuts their ties with you, with the uh, ties of kinship, then I cut my ties with him. had hadith, khulul jannah," And in this particular narration it mentions that person does not enter paradise. Then there was the third part, the final part, which was the one who believes in magic. And that is the connection to this particular point, this chapter at this stage, وَهَذَا مَحَلُّ الشَّاهِدْ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ فَإِنْ قُلْتَ الْحَدِيثِ فِي مُصَدِّقْ الصحر وَالْبَابِ فِي بَابِ الْتَنْجِيمِ فَمَا المناسبة? But this chapter was talking about the stars and all of the things connected with the stars, not specifically magic. So why has al Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab mentioned a hadith here that is about magic, the one who believes in magic. It's not specific to the stars. How is that connected then? أن نوع من السحر. The connection is obvious. The stars and all of those things that they believe in regarding the stars, we discussed last week, all of that is a form of magic. It is a form of magic. And it is mentioned in that hadith مَنِقْتَبَسَ شُعْبَةٍ مِنَ النُّجُومِ فَقَدِقْتَبَسَ شُعْبَةٍ مِنَ السِّحْرِ زَادَ مَا زَاد And this is a narration that will come up Whomsoever learns a portion about the stars has indeed gained a portion of magic The more he learns, the more he ends up gaining that Meaning that portion of magic فَالتَنْجِيمُ نَوْعٌ مِنَ السِّحْرِ So it is a type of magic So the one who believes in magic, a portion of that which is about the stars and all of the activities connected to the stars that we spoke about last week, whoever believes in all of those types of affairs, then he is entered into this hadith that he does not enter paradise. وَهَذَا وَعِيدٌ شَدِيدٌ وَقَدْ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ لِكُفْرِهِ وَقَدْ لَا يَدْخُلُهَا لِمَعْصِيَتِهِ Some people may not enter paradise due to them uh, committing kufr outright when it comes to the issue of the stars and others just upon their sin. فَهَذَا وَهَذَا مِنَ حَدِيثِ الْوَعِيدِ الَّتِي تُجْرَى عَلَىٰ ظَاهِرِهَا وَلَا تُفِصْرَ So this kind of narration the Shaykh says you leave it as it is. They do not enter paradise. The ones who do these things, without going into detail. فَشَاهِدْ مُصَدِّقٌ بِسِحْرٍ الَّذِي مِنْهُ التَّنْجِيمِ وَعَلَى كُلِّ حَالٍ فَالْوَاجِبُ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِ أَنْيَحْذَرَ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْمُشْكِلَةِ وَهِيَ مَسْأَلَةُ التَّنْجِيمِ الَّتِي لا يزال شرها موجوداً في الناس. So the point is, the Sheikh says a person must avoid that issue of the stars. And all of the incorrect and haram And uh, 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 misguided beliefs That people have regarding the stars And that it is a portion or a type of magic And there is a severe threat in that hadith regarding it That is where we'll conclude on for today then Next week as you're aware there is no class The last Saturday of the month There is no class for this book So that will be in two weeks time Now we resume on the first Saturday of October, inshallah ta'ala, we'll come back on to this. So we'll conclude there today. Wa sallallahu wa sallam.